Tonight, tonight. Why not? He'll make you think. I think I'm going to break protocol here, though. He'll make you laugh. Is it conceited of me? Because, I mean, I'm puffing my chest out a little bit. And he lives for a take that'll make you do both. He says things I can't say. Nothing tops overtime, whether it's on the field or on the air. People don't forget. It's time for Overtime with Jonathan Peterlin. And welcome on in. It is Overtime with Jonathan Peterlin here with you guys on... This Tuesday, I feel good today. I feel good. I hope you guys feel good. I had way too many Lunchables, though. I know I eat Lunchables. I don't know why. I love Lunchables. I told myself, I'm like, I'm going to be eating good. I'm going to be getting uh, myself, you know, not necessarily in shape. That's not really the goal at this point. It's just trying to make sure that we don't eat too many bad things throughout the week and try to be a little bit better. Today was not that day. Today was not that day. We completely failed. Everyone has their comfort nostalgia foods. Is uh, is a lunchable a nostalgia food? Absolutely. It, it I used to, to eat that in my school cafeteria in, in the elementary days. I would. That's something I would love to try again sometime. Try, try again sometime. You're gonna make me feel bad about eating. No, I eat stuff you? like spaghettios <laughs> or like uh, the uncrustable PB and J's. He's like, you're a father. You have a mortgage. And you are eating Lunchables. Yes, yes. Pizza rolls, all that stuff. The old school Uncrustables are fantastic, but Uncrustables, they weren't around when I was a child. Were they? Have they always been around? I feel like nobody had those growing up. And now they're everywhere. No, those were around when I was a kid. Those have been really? around for a minute. They're very popular on the golf course these days. People have Uncrustables all the time on the golf course. I buy Uncrustables. Less mess. Yeah, they're great. And you just, you know, they're, just, they're PB&Js. They're awesome. And they're so, they're just, they're nicely put together. They seem like they're going to get the job done, and they always tend to. I never thought about nostalgic food, though. There's not enough foods out there to be nostalgic about. Like Unless I like, came across a bunch of Go-Gurts or something. Go-Gurt, yeah. Remember Go-Gurt? Oh, yeah. And then you freeze the Go-Gurt every now and then, too? I, yeah, there's yeah. plenty of those. Like, everyone's growing up. It's what you've had growing up, you know? The, the stuff that feels childish, but you love it too much to give I, it up. I, here what I, here's what I think it might be. It's going to sound stupid, but play with me for a second. Lunchables are in my in my mind as a child having a lunchable was like having like a a, a medium rare big Delmonico steak. That's you know? a king's lunch. That was a that was a big dog lunch because most people had you know parents that would make them their lunches and do all that stuff. My parents didn't make me lunches. That's not the thing that happened for me. I had to make my own lunch, and most of the time, if there was just a lunchable in the fridge, I'd grab the lunchable. But in like the schoolroom, that was king. Like that was you could trade a lunchable for just about anything if you wanted to in the currency of the the cafeteria. And so now I guess maybe as an adult, I'm like, sweet, for $5, I can have two of them, and I can feel awesome about myself. And they're still tasty. They're good. They're good. They're not great. They're good. I, it's one of those foods that at the, at the end when I'm done eating them, like what happened today, when I got done eating them, I'm like, why did I do that to myself? I, I enjoyed every bit of it. I loved every minute of it. And then when I was done, I was like, why, why did you do that to yourself? It's like when I buy a whole bag of candy, and then I take down the candy, and at the end of it, I'm like, hey, listen, that was an enjoyable ride, but that was, what a, what a dummy I am for that. Not worth the ticket. No. Price of admission. No, yeah, it is. Like, it's like going on a big roller coaster ride and then puking at the end. You're like, listen, that was a lot of fun, but it's not worth the puke that just happened there. Oh. All right, anyway. Uh, outside of that, I feel great today. I feel, well, all right, that's a stretch. I feel good today, uh, but I'm happy to talk about a Browns win with you guys, and that's where I want to start. 216-474-0092. On Twitter, there you can find me. I am at Peterwin as always. Twitter reactions brought to you by our friends over there at Shopping Jewelers, Cleveland's premier jewelry store. Where I want to start with you guys is Kevin Stefanski. The final challenge for Stefanski to get all of you guys back on board 
I think is a win against the Ravens and a win against the 49ers. And not only does he have his job for the rest of the season, no matter what happens then, but it'll solve something that has plagued Stefanski his entire career. Winning a big game and then getting another big win after that. Last year, we beat the Steelers on national TV, week three. Remember that? That was the big Njoku game. Awesome game. And it was followed up with a four-game losing streak. I think I heard Nick call him earlier today. Something like he's like Mr. September. It's, it's kind of true with Stefanski. He has very good Septembers. And then you just kind of watch as the season moves on, and it just doesn't go as well for him. And I've never truly been able to figure out why that is. I don't know if it's because he starts off the season with one set of plays and then never adjust. I don't know if he starts off with his best stuff, like the stuff he'd been spending all summer on. And then all of a sudden, by the time he actually gets to October, he just doesn't have it anymore. You know, Patrick Mahomes used to have this stat. It was crazy out there. Patrick Mahomes, for the first, like, five years of his career, was his, – his winning record in September was – I'm not going to say a guess off the top of my head because that's all it would be, but it was way abnormally high for somebody that has even been to five straight AFC title games and has played in three Super Bowls and two Super – and has won two in that stretch. Like, he was abnormally high for the first two months of the season and the first month of the season what he was able to accomplish. Kind of similar to Stefanski right now. Stefanski in the opening month, he's always been good. There's no doubt about that. And not only has he always been good, he's always been able to show you a level of competency that for 25 years we just haven't seen from the head coaching position. So I want to know, though, are you buying into that once again? Here's where I feel like Charlie Brown with the football. As I feel like every single year, post 11-5 and in the postseason victory, we enter the season, Stefanski gets off to a relatively decent start in September, and then we're sitting there and we're waiting for the season to develop and we're waiting for the season to stack upon itself, and it goes down the toilet. It, it, it just, poof, it Hindenburgs right in front of our very eyes. I got a feeling this time is different. Is there anything you saw in the week three victory that I can get you back on board with Stefanski if you weren't there? I think there's a couple things he needs to do. I think he needs to stack victories like their Jenga tiles. We need to get not only a win against the Ravens, let's get a win against San Francisco, and let's truly solidify what this Browns team is. Four times in three years, he's won a game and followed that up with just winning another game in general. But you can make an argument that winning back-to-back big-time games Hasn't been a specialty of Stefanski's. You deep pants the Bengals on Halloween. You lose the next two to Buffalo and Miami last year, right? I mentioned that Steelers game, national TV, followed up with a week four loss. All right, what happened? We only won back-to-back games once last year, and the second game was a Houston team that was trying to lose to get the number one overall pick. These are the little things I think we need to see from Stefanski. These are the things I can tell you. What I saw on Sunday, I thought that was about as perfect of a game as we've seen from Kevin Stefanski. Everyone wants to tell me the play calling was that different. First of all, I don't think the play calling was necessarily that different. I think Deshaun hit some of his passes. So I talked to uh, uh, you know Keith before the show. Keith's like, yeah, I, I think just Deshaun made plays. Yeah, I agree with that. I think Deshaun just made plays. I think, he, again, the first week, what was the takeaway after week one? We kept talking about how many open receivers there were, how many guys that were just sitting there wide open, and Deshaun just missed them. The schemes have always been there. The play calling is always there. Now, what's different is that Kevin Stefanski no longer has an ace up his sleeve in Nick Chubb. He no longer has a secret A-plus call anytime he wants to go ahead and dial something up that he needs some uh, some yards for. I guess it wasn't even a time secret. 
Sometimes it'd be like everyone in the building knows it's going to Nicholas Jamal Chubb. Doesn't matter. You can't stop it. You can't stop it. He had an A-plus play call at his disposal anytime he wanted to. The only limitation on that was that he only had about 15 to 20 bullets in the chamber. He only got about 15 to 20 attempts with Nick Chubb in any sort of game, and they capped him out at 20, and it was what it was. So we had to use him sparingly. I didn't have an unlimited supply. Had to use him a little bit when needed, but he was able to, and that covered up a lot. But what I think was so special about week three and what was so different about week three is that the run game really wasn't particularly good, and Kevin Stefanski was able to overcome that. But he was able to overcome that because Deshaun Watson in and of itself was hitting passes. Deshaun Watson was doing what Deshaun Watson was supposed to do. You know, week one, I went back and I charted all the different plays with Deshaun Watson. 11 out of 16 of his throws were five yards or fewer. That's just the reality of it. I mean, he just, he didn't throw the ball deep at all. It was just part of the recipe for what he did for week one. And it worked. It got the, it got the Browns what they needed. It worked. When you fast forward and you look at some of the next-gen stats and you look at some of the other uh, you know, outcomes from what you saw in week three, it wasn't that, wasn't that different. I mean, yards per attempt look very gaudy. They look up there. They're top five in the NFL. But ultimately, the actual throws that he's making, five yards and fewer, they're bountiful. You can tell Kevin Stefanski's trying to get him involved and trying to set him up in a nice way. But there was something that Aditi Kinkabwala said on the morning show that I thought was fascinating. Now, there's two parts to this story, okay? I want you to focus on the first part. We're going we're gonna to touch on both, but I want you to focus on the first part because I didn't understand this is what Kevin Stefanski was doing. Maybe it was obvious to tell. I don't know. You can be the judge of that. But I know with certainty this is not how every head coach approaches the quarterback-head coach relationship, and they don't give Deshaun Watson, in this instance, this type of flexibility with the play calls. Here we go. When one of our booth guys, I think it was Spiro, the play-by-play guy, asked Deshaun about the process, and Deshaun said he's never had so much rain. He gets the play script on Friday, and he just crosses out what he doesn't like. And not that Kevin doesn't push him to consider other things, but Kevin completely respects what he feels about that. So the whole reason that I was talking about this in the game is that Adam Archuleta, our analyst, had gone back and looked at every single big play in Deshaun's career prior to his sitting out with the Texans, so in the early part of his Texans career. And he said that Deshaun actually operated with a ton of confidence when he didn't have a great run game. And there was something to that. He didn't necessarily have great line play. He didn't have a good, good enough back run game, whatever, however you want to phrase it. And yet Deshaun operated well. So it was sort of like there's a piece of now it's all on me. I don't have anybody to rely on. And this is what I really love to do. And that's what we were sort of seeing. All right. We're going to touch on that second part in a little bit. Focus on the first part, though, for right now. The first part being that Kevin Stefanski comes to Deshaun Watson with the play sheet, says, these are the plays, you take what you like, you tell me what you don't, and we'll go from there. I think this is awesome. Who doesn't love a boss that lets you be yourself and doesn't micromanage what you do? He comes up with a bunch of plays, you just pick and choose. Like, they're options from a buffet line. Instead of forcing days old turkey down your throat, you get to choose whatever you want. Who wouldn't love that? It kind of makes me feel like a who's in charge type moment a little bit, but I genuinely think this is just what Stefanski would do. Now, I don't believe he did this with Baker, though. This is where I need I need the media to put their uh, their big J hats on for me, if you could, 
Anybody in the Browns media beat? You want to go ahead and ask this question? We'll, we'll talk to Daryl coming up at 920. Maybe we can tell Daryl this is the question I want asked. Did Baker have that same leeway? Was Baker able to call it out? I, I would make sure. I would all but promise you Jacoby Brissett didn't get to like sit down with the play sheet and then pick out what plays he likes and then them go off that script. But could you imagine the luxury that that is for Deshaun Watson? It's exactly what you're supposed to do. And there aren't 31 other head coaches in the NFL that would make sure that their quarterback gets to do that. That is a trust factor that is built in somehow. That is a I believe you can make any of these throws factor that is built in. And honestly, I just feel like these are the things behind closed doors that we don't hear enough about when it comes to Kevin Stefanski and what he actually does to get this team set up for success. Constantly, all we do is complain about Stefanski and complain about the different parts of the team that struggle. We don't ever give him the tip of the cap when he does something that I believe to be is the right call. And in this instance, letting Deshaun make those decisions and cutting it down, that's perfect. That's my chef's kiss to me. 216-474-0092. Has your opinion of Stefanski started to change in the slightest bit, or do you feel like he still has to win a bunch more games before you can get on board? Is it too early to be singing the praises of Kevin Stefanski? 216-474-0092 on Twitter. There you can find me. I am at Jay Peterlin. It's overtime. Jonathan Beatle here with you guys on The Fan. You know, it's an interesting uh, clip from Wyatt Teller there in that update that you heard James play. We, we have not discussed enough the idea that Deshaun Watson was going up against our defense that now people are starting to call an historically great defense day in, day out. And the reports out of Berea were like, yeah, he's very hit or miss. Good days, bad days. Like, well, yeah, what'd you expect? Literally, nobody's moving the ball at all against this Browns defense. We're surprised Deshaun ever threw any touchdowns at all, right? So, oh, yeah, he's good days, bad days. Night and day, different, you know, different thing. Surprised he ever moved the ball at all? All right, I want to hear from you. 216-474-0092. We're talking about Aditi's comments in the morning show, and she mentioned something I thought was fascinating, the idea that Kevin Stefanski was giving Deshaun Watson the play sheet earlier in the week on Fridays or so and then saying, hey, uh, you, you pick out what you like, you tell me what you like, and then we'll get rid of whatever you don't like. And you can, it's your dime, your dance for, essentially. I'm going to come up with the plays, and then a la carte style, you're going to choose them out like we're at a restaurant, and you, you'll take this, you'll take this, you'll take this, and whatever you seem to like is what we're going to go with. And honestly, I just think it speaks to the type of coach that I think Kevin Stefanski is. These are the things behind the scenes that I feel like other coaches in the past never would have done, but he's he does do, and I think it goes a long way, especially with someone like Deshaun. Now, you can say maybe, Jonathan, he's doing this because he understands that the guy worth $230 million is really the one that he's got to respond to. When you make $230 million, that he becomes your boss. I know the head coach is supposed to be the boss, but he's your boss. It's like how they always joke in the radio business, and they joke for people like me, but for other people out there, they joke, that, uh, you know, if you become big enough, you become successful enough, you don't have bosses anymore. You basically become your own boss, okay? Same type deal with Deshaun Watson. Deshaun Watson is the boss in Berea. But what's fascinating is that some head coaches would look at that and say, nah, I'm still the head coach. You're going to play by my rules, okay? Now, Hugh Jackson, for instance, there's no way Hugh Jackson would have been like, yeah, of course, I'm coming up with a bunch of plays. We're going to collaborate on this, and then uh, you take what you like, and we'll go from there. I'm not seeing that out of Hugh Jackson. I hope to not speak out of pocket there when it comes to Hugh. I just, I, I never saw that with Baker, especially when he was congratulating Baker for winning the backup job on uh, national TV. 
Just never saw it. Never saw it. Now, maybe I don't blame him for not doing that with someone like Deshaun Kaiser, but neither here nor there. The point remains. There are things behind the scenes that I feel like Kevin Stefanski has not only worked on, but Kevin Stefanski has not gotten enough credit for. Everything down to how the Jim Schwartz credit is going out. You know, how often have you heard people on this radio station or people just talking about the Browns in general? We talk about the defense and we talk about Jim Schwartz. Now, we talk about Jim Schwartz not only because we think he deserves it, but because when Joe Woods was here, we made all of our blaming when it came to the defensive side of the ball. They were all put at the feet of Joe Woods. How many times did I say that man has to update his LinkedIn resume? He's the one responsible for the defense not being good. Give him the pink slip already. And so I feel like we became accustomed to putting the weight of the defensive world on the shoulders of whoever is in charge there. And so someone like Jim Schwartz is getting a lot of credit. But the reality is, is that if you had a coach that wasn't Kevin Stefanski, you might have a coach that would end up being jealous of this whole ordeal. You might have a coach that would say, wait, but what about me? I'm doing X, Y, and Z. I've met so many football coaches, so many of them. A lot of them are very similar. Kind of like radio host in a, in a weird way as well, right? You say, like, there's a lot of people, if you were to ask in the radio business, they'd be like, wait, so they all they all are these four traits? It's not, it's, not like, it's not weird when you go to see your accountant that I don't even have to describe your accountant to you, and every we all have the same accountant. James has the same accountant that I have, that Michael Bohm has. We all have the same guy, okay? They're, they're different names. They're all the same guy. Most football coaches all have the same personalities. They're ego-driven, and they want the credit, and they want everything attached to the success that is around their football team. Kevin Stefanski doesn't care about that. He just doesn't care. I don't think it's bothering him one bit that Jim Schwartz is the one being credited for the defense, and I don't think it bothers him one bit that Deshaun Watson sits down on Friday, tears apart the plays he doesn't like, and then goes with the ones he does like, and then gets a lot of the credit when it does work like it did on Sunday. I don't think it bothers him one bit. But I want to hear from you. 216-474 to below 92. Bat and lead off tonight. It's going to be Alfonso in New York up next on The Fan. Hello, Alfonso. Hello, Jonathan. How you doing? Good. How are you? I'm all right. So you're talking about how Deshaun gets the play play. I don't think that when Stefanski and Baker were working together, I don't think he was letting Baker do it because you remember for the first three games of the season – Baker made for the first five, actually. Baker was, like, playing good. He's letting Deshaun do it is because Deshaun Watson's a $230 quarterback. We didn't know how many years we had with Baker Mayfield. So he was just like, let me do this now because we don't know how long we're going to have Baker for it. We didn't have We only had him for two seasons with Kevin Stefanski. So it's just like, Baker, he's not the franchise guy. And yeah, we knew that. Alfonso, I think the point – no, no, no. I, I, listen, I agree with a lot of what you had to say, but the, the idea that we approached Baker not being the franchise guy, I don't know. I There was a lot of people that thought Baker was the franchise guy, especially after the 11-5 and five season. We were convinced I, I we had him. I don't think he – I don't think he was after because I'm like, you want us a playoff game, great. But – we don't know if Baker could do that for five years. That's just not him. You but, think so? Yeah, I, I mean, don't it's, think it's easy in hindsight, not. Alfonso. I think it's easy in hindsight to be like, "Yeah, we all knew at that time." But I just I remember doing these shows and being here, and I just remember after we won the playoff game, no one was like, "If only our quarterback was better." Because remember, week seven on Baker Mayfield was a top three quarterback in the NFL. Like he was awesome 
for a, a like, 10-game yeah. stretch. And so I think people thought that he had turned the corner. And then he came back, and then he got injured, and then the whole season just went up in flames after that. That's why I'm saying I don't think he was a franchise because I don't think he could have done that from years on to come. That's why I'm just saying that he wasn't the guy after that. So All right. Well, then, no, and I agree with that. And thank you, Alphonse. I appreciate you, man. That feels like uh... – you know, it's like it's like it's like uh, someone that used to, you know, work at Enron twelve days after what happened there. You're like, oh yeah, yeah of course, of course, this company was going nowhere. I've been saying it for a decade. Okay, it's easy to call out in, in hindsight. It's easy. It's easy after the fact. I just remember where we all were. I people genuinely thought Baker Mayfield had turned the corner, and I was very much in Baker's camp, very much in Baker's camp. And so I remember I did not do victory laps because I'm not a victory lap guy, but I remember. A lot of people at this radio station eating crow at that given time. And they're like, I just, they, they were confused. It was like uh, they just saw a magic trick in front of their eyes. They're like, how, did he, how is he doing this? Week in, week out, he looks really good. He's not supposed to look this good. I don't want to go down a Baker Mayfield memory, uh, you know, trip. But, I, but the reality is, is that when it comes to Kevin Stefanski, I don't think he was doing this with Baker Mayfield. I would bet he wasn't doing it with Jacoby Brissett, but he is doing it with Deshaun Watson. He's going through the plays. He's telling him. It's, it's fantastic. It's a producer giving me 20 Browns topics and saying, choose whichever four you like and go from there. Okay, then. Sure. You mean I choose my favorites and you throw the others in the trash can to never be talked of again? And the next week you present me with a whole bunch of new plays that I can choose from? I mean, I know not every coach does it this way, but this is a big-time bonus for Stefanski to be able to come up with enough plays that he thinks will work and then be willing to throw away the ones Deshaun doesn't like. But the question I have for you at 216-474-0092, do you see the Stefanski and Deshaun relationship working now? Is your opinion of Stefanski started to change? I, I, I want to hear from some people that have doubted Stefanski in the past. I want to hear from some people that I know it's only three games in, and this conversation would feel a lot different, maybe 13 games into the season. But if what you saw on Sunday was real, why aren't we giving Stefanski a bunch of credit for having the offense where it needed to be and on top of it, having the defense where it needed to be as well? So funny about the, the defense and who gets the credit. And I went over the Joe Woods history and everything attached to that. We're so funny, though. We just refuse to give Kevin Stefanski any sort of blame or praise when it comes to the defensive side of the ball because we're so convinced that he's just such an offensive guy that no other bit of it matters. It's like, uh, it's like Belichick with the Patriots. No one ever rips him for what happens on the offensive side of the ball. Everyone's just like, all right, well, hey, Mac Jones, you're a defensive guy anyway. Mac Jones is what he is. It's weird. It's weird to me. You know, Andy Reid in Kansas City, same thing. We're like, all right, you got Mahomes. He's one of the best quarterbacks of all time. You're doing fantastic. We don't ever bring up that they had the 18th scoring defense last year. We just don't bring these things up. And I think it's bananas. But in the case of Stefanski, if one of the Big problems he had last year in a lot of people's minds was the idea that he had no control over the defensive side of the ball. When the locker room broke itself up, nearly Jadavion Clowney broke the locker room up. But when the locker room broke itself up and there was yelling and people were getting in, in all sorts of trouble and all this other stuff, we're just like, all right, well, hey, Joe Woods. Joe Woods, sorry about you. It's weird to me. But when things go well, we're calling out Jim Schwartz an awful ton. And I've noticed it has not trickled down to Kevin Stefanski. And I guess I'm just curious. I'm just curious as to why. Why is it that 
uh, throughout two days of talking about the Browns and this game, I haven't heard anyone call up and say, you know what, I, I think Stefanski might have their, a good head on his shoulders and he might be heading in the right direction. I think Stefanski and Watson, that was a massive growth that the two of them showed over this past weekend. Not only could they game plan and figure out what they needed to do against a defense that, I mean, that secondary was, whew. I mean, that was that was Michael Bohm leaving the bar at 2 in the morning. They, they were just, they were running around in circles back there. I don't know what was going on. They it just was, it wasn't a good defense. But they still were able to attack it. They were still able to go after it. I find it fascinating. 216-474 to below 92. Your opinion of Stefanski started to change just a little bit. Mickey in North Ridge, uh, Ridgeville up next. Hello, Mickey. How's it going, man? What's up, man? What's your What's your opinion of Stefanski? Stefanski, I think, hasn't had a quarterback like Deshaun Watson in his entire career. I think the comparisons between Baker Mayfield and Deshaun Watson are honestly uh, completely different, even from pocket presence. Deshaun Watson's uh, athletic ability makes him to be able to get out of the pocket and avoid a lot of those pass rushes that we just saw last week. I mean, Tennessee has a pretty decent defense. They just went into overtime against the Chargers, and we our defense is ridiculous. We're, we are playing ridiculous. And I just truly think that Watson is a three-time Pro Bowler, and people forget that. And those first eight games that people were hating him for, they didn't understand, like, we got a real quarterback right now. And we need to be confident in that instead of questioning it all the time. I think every game is going to make a big difference. All right. Thank you, Mickey. I appreciate you. Mickey's on board. Mickey likes what uh, Stefanski's been dialing up. And no one's disputing that, by the way. I think everyone recognizes how good Deshaun Watson was at one point. I think a lot of people are like myself where they expected him to get right back on that horse and be as good, if not anywhere close to what he was before. I don't know that a lot of you guys thought it was going to happen three weeks in. I'd be honest with yourself. And maybe this is where we need to start doling out the credit to Stefanski a little bit more. A lot of people out there were wondering just how long it would take to have that type of uh, Deshaun Watson game. Not many people wrote down week three. Not many people. Maybe some of you guys were out there. I know for a while I was saying I, I expected it to happen way sooner than later. But there were a, a lot of people out there that were calling in night in, night out here in overtime with Jonathan Peterman and saying week six, week eight, week ten, you, you know, stealing some of my own lines from me. You got to crawl to walk to run, different things like that. It's not, Rome wasn't built in a day. You got you to figure this whole thing out, and it's going to take some time. And I understand that. I get all that. Week three, he had a premier Deshaun Watson day. According to EPA, he was the second-best quarterback. Only guy that he didn't beat out was a guy named Tua Tungabiola that happened to score 70 over the weekend. It's a very good game, and in most weeks, he would have been the number one quarterback in the NFL this week. 216474 to below 92. Has your opinion of Stefanski started to change, and do you see the Stefanski and Deshaun Watson relationship starting to work a little bit now? 216474 to below 92. We'll continue with the phone calls. Daryl Ryder coming your way at 920. We got uh, the fan focus at 9, off the beaten path in the 10 o'clock hour. A ton to get to. It's overtime with Jonathan Beatle here with you on The Fan. All righty, back out of here on The Fan. It is overtime with Jonathan Beatle. Asking you guys about your opinion of Stefanski and whether it started to change over the weekend. I've made a lot about the Aditi conversation she had with Ken and Anthony earlier today. But let's be honest about it. 
and I'll play that again for you guys coming up in a little bit here, but like some of you guys spent the offseason wondering if Stefanski was going to be Joe Pesci and Goodfellas or Joe Pesci and Casino. Spoiler alert, if you haven't seen either, he dies in both. It's just one is way more cruel than the other. Honestly, there were so many people entering this offseason that thought he was dead man walking. They thought Stefanski's tenure here with the Browns was just going to be done. And now through three weeks, I think even the most, the biggest Stefanski detractor and doubter has got to be feeling like, huh, maybe maybe we made a mistake here. Maybe we did. Now, I know he's Mr. September. Was it Reggie Jackson was Mr. October? Maybe Stefanski's just Mr. September. I know he's very good in September. Maybe this will all end up being one big con, one big ruse. I just don't believe it to be true. And I think the report from Aditi where she says how Stefanski and Watson sit down on Fridays and Watson goes through like he's at the buffet line and he picks out the plays that he likes and Stefanski just trashes the one that he doesn't. It showed me a couple things there. That showed me not only is it uh, the fact that Deshaun Watson is able to have that rapport with Stefanski, and he's going to like that, obviously. Who wouldn't like to have those type of options? But also, when he starts having a bunch of success, there is a part of Kevin Stefanski that can't be replicated, and that is what he does in the play-calling duties. I know you guys laugh at it. I know you guys don't think he's good at it. I don't know why the majority of you guys think, uh, feel that way. It is what he's best at. He's not a people person. He doesn't go up to the podium and then speak all sort of uh, Tony Robbins lingo and all this nonsense. Like, that's, that's not him. Remember him in the, the giving out the game ball and speaking after week one? Miles Garrett rolls his eyes as Kevin Stefanski is talking about how he never lies to them and he never does this and never does that. Man, I don't think it was disrespectful. I think Miles just knows, like, you, you try, don't try to be rah-rah guy right now. It's not who you are. You're, it, it's, it's almost as weird. If he came out and did a big speech, it'd almost be as weird as Ryan Day going after Lou Holtz. You're like, really? Now, now you're going to be this big guy, Ryan Day? Okay, fine. Uh, for four years, we've never seen you uh, be that loud. Now all of a sudden, you're going to you know, cut a WWE promo? Be who you are. Be authentic. And I know where that came from with Ryan Day. He's trying to be like Dion because Dion gets attention and Dion gets all sorts of praise and Dion sells millions of dollars worth of shades. I get it. I get it. And he's going to have to start being that way because college football coaching is going to be more like WWE wrestling than it ever has been. But the NFL doesn't make you be that way. Doesn't make you be that way. Be who you are. But there are things that you can't replace that I think Kevin Stefanski does at such a high level. And one of those things, again, he's not a people person. It is this on Fridays. It's those things behind the scenes that you guys don't see where he's crafting out these plays and he's just throwing a bunch of them into Sean's face and being like, hey, what do you like? Let's figure this out and let's get there. It is putting his own ego aside in such a way that you just don't typically see. That's the benefit of Kevin Stefanski. So I'm asking you guys, 216474 to below 92. Are you buying more into Stefanski after watching the first three games and seeing how not only is this defense going, but how the offense went to Sean Watson, an offense that a lot of people thought would take until week six, week seven, week eight to get humming? Seems like it was a humming pretty nicely. On Sunday in that win. Eric and Cam's Corner up next on the fan. Hello, Eric. How are you tonight? What's up, John JP? No time long time no speak. Where you been hiding, Eric? Uh, <laughs> where, where you been at? You know what? <laughs> I just been I just been listening to you guys and, and, and gathering all the information and now the season started, I'm ready to speak. <laughs> all right, good. You got it, man. What's up? <laughs> but for sure. Um so you know what? I I I've definitely have been a de- Stefanski detractor throughout the years. And you know, um, 
play calling versus game management to me are two different things. And when you watch the past, you look at some of the, the, the teeth of those games, they were always close. And what was missing? A field goal here or there. So he, he changed my tone in game one when he, when he kicked three field goals and just took the points mm. because that's what you got to do in NFL because the games are always so close. Um, and with his flexibility, you know what I'm saying, with Deshaun, and, and I was talking to uh, Spence on Friday and, mm-hmm. you know, and the hype from, from Monday night, I said Deshaun has to relearn what, what – because he was out of the game for a while. And he's going to pick these things up slowly but surely. I think Sunday was a good game, but we need to see that back-to-back-to-back, to back to back, right? Yep. So Kevin has definitely changed my mind in the fact that he's just taking the field goals, JP, because he, he always went through two forward on fourth and one, fourth and two, four and three. And it's like, yo, just get the points there right there. And so that's making a believer out of me so far this season. Love it. All right. Thank you, Eric. I appreciate you, man. Don't thank be a stranger, yep. all right? All right. I, I won't. I won't. You know, the Cavs are right around the corner, so I'm ready to go. Very good. All right. Thank you, Eric. I appreciate yep. you, man. Yeah, so, man, something something he said I want to stay with for a second. So, he mentioned how there's things that Deshaun probably likes now that maybe he didn't like back then, right? You can't just go off the tape in Houston. There's things now that he probably likes that, and as he gets more comfortable, he's going to remember certain things that he likes as well. And as he plays these games, he's going to stockpile a bunch of different plays and formations and things that he feels comfortable with in-game as opposed to just practices. Kind of reminds me a little bit of, like, uh, I hate to bring my golf game back in the mix, but you guys know I'm obsessed with golf. Seeing my guy uh, Jeff over there at Golf Deck tomorrow, looking forward to a nice lesson. And, you know, two years ago, if you would have told me to pick out my favorite club, I probably would have said, uh, you know, I I like a five iron, right? You ask me today, what's my favorite club? I'm probably going to say an eight iron, right? Like, you change. You're a different person than you were years ago. That's, that's an anything in life, not just golf, obviously. But same thing with these plays with Deshaun Watson. The plays he liked in Houston are not just going to be the same plays that he likes here now with Stefanski, with this personnel. He's never had a tight end like David Njoku. He's never had an offensive line, even with a rookie in Dewan Jones on the right side and a left tackle in Jedrick Wills that just seems like he doesn't want to finish plays at all. He's never had one like this. A lot that this Browns team has that are things that he's just never experienced in Houston. So we got to give him the benefit of the doubt. we got to give him the opportunity to then find out what he does like and what he is comfortable with. Meanwhile, Stefanski just keeps bringing over that buffet tray of different things and says, hey, you pick out what you like, and we'll go from there. It's fantastic. 216474 to below 92. Walter in Cleveland up next on the fan. Hello, Walter. Hey, how you doing? What's up, Walter? Hey, man, I just think they need to give Stefanski a little bit more credit based on him being the coach of the year taking over a team that didn't win many games, if any, with uh, Hugh Lackman, whatever his name, Jackson. You know, I think uh, Deshaun Watson, if you look at the game plan for the last game, that's why he was successful. Ten yards here, 15 here, just to kind of get him in a rhythm. You get what I mean? And he also started listening to him as far as wanting to be spread the offense out a little bit. Unfortunately, we lose Nick Chubb, but it's a gift and a curse because now we can open up as far as wide packages, and he can play his game, you know. Um, I think if you look what he did with Baker Mayfield, there's no way you can, like, be like, oh, he's not a good coach. He's definitely a good coach. Look at the guys he's hiring. Okay, Woods didn't work out. He go out and get Swartz. Look at the special team coach he go get. So he's putting good people around him with good players, and I just think that, um, you know, they should probably give my man a little bit more credit as far as the overall you know, uh, Deshaun Watson even looking better in that particular game, you know? No doubt. Yeah, Baker Mayfield, he's the most inconsistent football player we know as a quarterback, right? He made – this guy went to the playoffs and won a playoff game with him. So, 
That's all I got to say about it. You're right. Walter, you're right, and I appreciate you, man, as always. Uh, You're right. Yeah, I was talking with Nick again earlier about this, and and Nick brought up an interesting point. He's like, oh, this is kind of like Ryan Day. You know, he he goes, you know, Ryan Day, it doesn't matter if he beats Notre Dame, he's got to beat Michigan before Ohio State fans really fall back in love with the idea of Ryan Day for the ones that have fallen off the idea that they love Ryan Day, right? And there's not anything that Kevin Stefanski can do that would be like that. There's not one game that can have you completely buy back into it. I think it's going to have to be a process. It's going to have to be building up trust week in, week out, and then seeing what Stefanski does. And then maybe we wake up week 10 and you're like, oh, yeah. No, yeah, we beat the Ravens. We don't typically do that. We've taken down uh, the Steelers in the second matchup. We beat the 49ers. We beat all these teams. Yeah, maybe maybe there is something there. Adam up next on the fan. Well, Adam. Hey, JP, what's up? What's up, man? So, this is easy to say, I guess, for a lot of people, but I've been behind Deshaun the whole entire time and understanding that it's got to be a process. So the process has to be, number one, he hadn't played football in years. Number two, new offense, new team, new coach, new all of that. Um, number three, having to gel with his teammates. And we all know the last six games of last year, that didn't happen. But this full off season gave him a chance. Um, and I think that they, they were going to start off slowly with him, um, which is smart from Stefanski's standpoint. But now we're seeing that they're starting to open up the playbook. He's got rapport with Cooper, um, with Elijah Moore. Unfortunately, Chubb went down because Chubb was going to be his easiest piece that he's probably, well, he's actually never had a running back like that before um, in his life. And then add the tight ends in, and we're just going to see this thing grow. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I think that's what they wanted the whole entire time. And that's why nobody on the Brown side panicked because he is going to get there. You can't discount the talent that Deshaun Watson has, but you have to put everything into play as far as what it takes for him to get back to where he was. And maybe now, and I say maybe, um, he's starting to get there. And it may take a few more games still to to work out some of the other things. But trust in the process. Let's go uh, 76ers. Trust in the process. (laughs) A little Sam Hinky. Yeah. And, And I think that they know what they're doing. And I think we started to finally see it now. And you put that with the best defense in the NFL and the process is working. So um, I think we're finally where we want to be or we're getting to where we want to be. And the sky is the limit for this team. I really believe in it. And the sky is the limit for Deshaun Watson, especially with Amari Cooper playing the way that he's playing too. Those two are dynamic. They could be one of the most dynamic one-two punches in the NFL outside of two on – yeah, Tua and Tyreek and, uh, you know, Mahomes and Kelsey. You know, we might be talking about, um, you know, Watson and uh, and Cooper for a long time. So I, I think that we're getting there. Thank you, Adam. I appreciate you as always. Uh, I want to hear you. 216-474-0092. Did this happen sooner than you'd think for the offensive side of the ball? Let's play with that idea next. It's Jonathan Beadle here with you guys. Daryl Ryder coming your way at 920 right here on The Fan.